Have you ever rocked up to work just a little bit early, maybe a couple hours before everyone else gets in and you feel like you get so much done? Or have you noticed that it's the tasks that you hate most that feel like they take the longest? Or perhaps you've been yo-yoing in your performance levels and you're really keen to understand how you can maintain a consistent level at all times. This and so much more explored on today's podcast. Welcome to The Balance Theory, a podcast aimed at arming you with tools and tips so that you are well equipped to not only find but own your own definition of balance. I'm your host, Erica, and thank you for joining me. Hey, balancers, and welcome back to another week with The Balance Theory. I just want to start off by thanking you to choose your precious time with me. I really appreciate every download and listen that we get. And if it's your first time here or whether you're coming back, I'm honored that you've chosen to spend the next 40 to 50 minutes with us on today's show. That being said, my thought of the week relates to burnout. Now, I'm sure most of you listening have either experienced burnout once or a couple times in your life, or maybe it's something you're going through right now. And I think burnout is one of those things that pops up when we absolutely forget about our self-care or we're putting too many eggs in one basket of our balance. So maybe that's your work, maybe that is your health. You know, anytime you are just streamlined, laser focused on one thing and you're neglecting other areas of your life, I feel like that's when we get to burnout. But in saying that, when we talk about burnout, I don't think we have to get to that point where we've burnt the candle at both ends. I think there are actually mini burnouts that can happen along the way. And this will obviously look different for everyone, but I know myself when I can feel it slowly coming on. And I think that that's the most opportune moment to jump in and avoid total burnout. When you feel it slowly building up and compounding, try and intercept it. Imagine your, imagine the burnout journey is like going down a slide. So the bottom of the slide is the burnout. The top and kind of all your way down is as you're slowly, slowly disintegrating. But There will be small signs along the way where you could stop yourself along the slide and push yourself back up. Maybe not the best analogy, but you get what I'm saying. You can intercept it before you go too far down. And that's stuff like looking and listening to your body. So the reason I'm sort of prompted to talk about this is because I've been having quite a lot of neck pain lately and I haven't changed anything that I'm doing. I have quite an ergonomic setup at home for my desk. I try and incorporate a lot of movement into my day, especially first thing in the morning. And so for me, I can tell that this is a physical sign of stress accumulating in my body. And, you know, that pain dissipated after a few days. But I know that if I had ignored that and let it go for too long, it's going to eventually manifest and become chronic pain. That's just one example. You may feel it in terms of like anxious thoughts or anxious feelings in your body, etc. So pay attention to the small things. They're super important and will save you going all the way down the burnout path. So I'm super excited about today's guest. I have Tony Wilson on, who is an expert in human performance. He's been 15 years as a performance coach, starting with elite athletes and sporting teams around the world. And he now works with companies and leaders to create the right environment for people to thrive. Essentially, he works with people to unlock their potential, maintain their performance and help them be the best versions of themselves. And the key part without burning out, which is obviously critical to my whole thoughts about today's podcast as well. What I really love about Tony's approach is very easy to digest his content. So it's not like you're going to hear all this stuff about focus and performance and motivation and then not really have tangible ways to implement it. He gives a lot of step-by-step plans of how we can actually break down these things and implement them into our daily life. So that starts with how to actually define our balance. What does having a great day look like? How to have a winning mindset? 
What's the whole go with motivation? Is it BS or is it something that's really there for us? And most importantly, what makes someone sustain high performance consistently? So if you're someone who's serious about high performance and are really curious about the difference between what makes some people peak perform and what makes others don't, then you're absolutely going to love this episode. One thing I would suggest is get out your pen and paper because you will be scribbling away like mad and you won't regret it for a second. Stay tuned all the way until the end because we do have a special giveaway on this week. So if you're listening to this episode as it comes out, make sure you jump on our social at The Balance Theory on Instagram so you can go in the running to win one of the planners that Tony has created through his company, Focus Planner. I'm going to stop talking so we can dive into this juicy episode. I hope you love it. Take a screenshot and share this episode on socials and tag both myself and Tony if you have any key takeaways from this. And I hope you absolutely love every minute of it. Let's dive in. So, Tony, a very big welcome to the Balance Theory podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. I was, I was quite glad when you reached out and wanted to share, I guess, your work and what you're doing with my audience. And so I don't do it a disservice. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you are doing and your long journey of how you fell into it? Yeah, well, so I was originally a performance coach for elite athletes and sporting teams. Uh, I'm based in Brisbane. So here in Brisbane, through Australia, I worked with Olympic athletes, worked overseas with some uh, college and professional teams in the States. And I kind of, I was fortunate to achieve a lot of the stuff that I didn't think I would achieve until later, fairly early. And I just, I kind of started looking for a new direction. And what, the thing that really really engrossed me about teams and athletes was the fact that you could have so many different teams and different athletes on those teams with very, very similar skills and abilities. And yet you would have some that really went on to achieve amazing things. You'd have some teams that would build amazing team culture. And then you'd have others that just wouldn't kind of make it to those levels. And so I got really interested in what the difference between those two things is. Um, I really lucked in at one point to a few of sponsors of the teams that I worked with that started asking me to come and work with their leadership teams and their people. And then this kind of grew into, into exactly that. And my original focus was all around teams and culture. So I worked with a lot of leadership teams on how do we build the culture for people to show up and perform at their best every day. Um, and same in teams, how do we build high-performing teams and create that environment for people to show up and do great work? Um, and then about two years into it, we had, it was a really busy time personally. We had three boys under two years old. Um, wow. I was working really hard and I think we were in the throes of trying to sell and buy a house as well. Um, and it was around Christmas time and I went out to lunch with some friends and had this episode where we were just sitting there talking and I was having a couple of drinks and I went to take a drink and the whole right side of my face kind of paralyzed. And I took this sip of wine, I remember, and the wine literally just dribbled out of my mouth. And I had this moment where I went, what is going on here? And I was trying to remain calm. And in remaining calm, oddly, I went to take a drink of water and the same thing happened, drink this water, it literally just dribbled out the side of my mouth. And I excused myself and I got up and went to the bathroom and I could not move the right-hand side of my face. And I sat in this bathroom for a while going, what is going on? And um, after about 10, 15 minutes, I kind of got feeling back and I got movement back, although it still felt kind of really numb. And I just went out and excused myself from lunch and I went to see my doctor and 
he said, you've, you've had a stress episode. He said, have you had, you know, is there some stressful stuff going on in your life? And I said, yeah, there is. And that kind of sent me on this journey to work out, okay, I've been working a lot with teams and, and, and organizational culture, but what does it mean for us to be able to perform at our best every day, right? So how do we manage ourselves so we can show up and just do our best work every day without burning out? And that's probably become about 80% of my business now. 20% is still working with teams and within team culture. And 80% is just working with staff on, you know, exactly that. How do we show up every day with the best version of ourselves? But how do we do it without putting ourselves under so much stress that we burn out? Wow, that's that's an epic journey. And it's funny, hey, how <laughs> if you if you don't listen to your body, eventually we'll just get to a point where we'll show you and we'll say, hey, now's enough. It's a, it's a pivoting point. Um, but I think that's so important. And I think that we live in a time where being busy has been so overglorified, you know, and and burnout is kind of or, or being stressed is almost like a default state. And it's it's really not ideal. Well, I would personally argue it's not ideal. And the majority of us are in corporate or nine to five type jobs where, you know, the time we can allocate to personal life, this is kind of, this kind of lends, sorry, into the next question. So I'm kind of going to do a little segue because everything you've said just has nicely flowed on. But I, I remember reading on your website, a little phrase, and it said, work-life balance is dead. And for anyone listening who hasn't listened to episode zero, definitely go back and check that out. But the first thing I said in that episode was, I created this podcast because I totally agree that the whole concept of work-life balance is just, it's not a relatable framework because you, it makes you yeah. feel as though you've got work and life that are segregated, number one. And number two, that framework makes you feel like they have to be 50-50. Now, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of people and especially if they're high performers who 80 to 90% of their week, especially if they're not parents, will be, quote, work you know? Yeah. And so already that framework doesn't work well for them, but you would ordinarily look at someone like that and say, oh, they're, they're burnt out. Right. Or, you yeah, know, yeah. they've got too much on their plate. So I do think it's about, you know, acknowledging what, okay, what do our, what does our balance look like? And is it healthy? Is it conducive to the lifestyle I want? And so I'm very curious to know, I guess, your thoughts and how that whole concept of work-life balance being dead plays into the work that you do. And, um, yeah, and I guess you've first, you're not only professionally working in that space, but you've personally experienced that burnout where those tipping scales are just too far in one way and you may have felt like neglect in the other areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I suppose when we say work-life balance is dead, we're not saying don't even try to achieve it. Do you know what I mean? But I think our, our, our basic notion of it is dead. And exactly... You know, exactly to your point, I think when people think about work-life balance, they think about this, you know, like you said, either 50-50 or I talk about it as being kind of mediocre in everything, just trying to keep everything, you know, all the balls up in the air sort of thing. And I don't think that is the right kind of lens to view it through. Interestingly, all the research is telling us that to really perform at our best, right, to be really fulfilled and do our best work, we really need to be able to perform well in what we call the three critical areas. And three critical areas are work, home and relationships, and the area of self, right? And because that's literally you know, that, a marry with our framework. So I'm already loving this. <laughs> yeah. And so we have these three areas and and 
you know, I, th I think one of the things that really holds us back from achieving any semblance of work-life performance or work-life integration or whatever you want to call it is our the original theory of work-life balance is a theory of sacrifices, right? It says, if I want to be really good at life, I probably have to suck at work. And if I want to be really good at work, I have to not be so good at life, right? Because we have these yes. scales. Yeah. Whereas what the research is telling us is that all of these things are kind of mutually inclusive, right? And really interdependent. And we kind of get that when we think about the really big things that happen in our lives, right? We know that if we go to work and we hate our jobs and we're not doing well, we know that our, that it will affect our home and relationships and we know it will affect our sense of self. And we know that if we're going through bad relationship stuff, we know that it will negatively, negatively affect work. But what people don't understand is outside of those really big things, they don't understand the degrees, right? So there's this concept in science we call emotional distraction. And all it means is when we have an emotional reaction to something, that emotional brain sort of hijacks what we call our thinking brain, our ability to problem solve and do critical thinking and control our emotions and behaviors. It actually starts to shut that down and sends us to autopilot kind of reactive behaviors instead. And it tells us that for even very small amounts of negative emotion, that process starts happening. So there's a, um, there's a really great um, experiment where they, they put people on an on a exercise bike and they get them to um, exercise at a certain level of their maximum. And they flash up either happy faces or sad faces on a screen in front of them. And if I flash up happy faces for you, it will increase your time to exhaustion by about 10%, right? Just wow. from seeing happy faces. Whereas what happens with the negative emotion, the negative effect, it starts to shut down the part of our brain that can kind of control our, our self-discipline, if you like, right? And so when we understand that, we start to understand that even small things, right? So I turn up to work on Monday, I feel maybe a little bit guilty about not spending enough time with the kids or working a bit too much on the weekend. Now I start to understand that that actually affects me at work, right? Not to the same extent as, as my relationship's falling apart, but it has an effect. Um, I also know that if I leave work on a Friday and I'm anxious about some things that didn't get done or whatever it is, then that affects me over the weekend. And there's, there's some really great research that shows the, the number of unfinished tasks you have on a Friday, right? If you mm -hmm. correlate that with the amount of quality sleep you get, and the amount of times you think about work over the weekend, those two things end up positively correlated, right? If I have more things un, you know, undone on my to-do list at the end of Friday, I actually don't sleep very well and I think about work more on the weekend. And so mm. when we can understand all those little things, we can kind of understand that, okay, so to be great at work, I actually have to look after these other parts of my life as well. And conversely, to be great at home relationships, I have to actually look, look after work also. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's and like so there's, that, this, there's this beautiful synergy between the areas of your life. And, and I've yeah. always said, you know, it, it's, it's so important to be active in each of them to some degree. Now, obviously, depending on one's um, responsibilities and, you know, what they've got on their plate, the degree to which they can engage mm -hmm. in those different areas are going to vary. But I think yeah. as an individual, you have to be realistic and try at least to be active in some element of each of those because like we said and like we're saying they, they're all codependent and they will flow on to one another um, but before we go on I just want to ask you actually so if you're, we're looking at the self-work and relationships would you argue yeah. that there is one in particular that's more important than the others well 
it's really interesting, right? So in my workshops, I, I ask this, I ask people to do exactly that. I say, which do you think is most important? So if you could give it a weighting and the weighting of all three has to add up to hundred. So you might say home relationships are most important, give that 50 and say, I'll give 25 to the other two or whatever it is, right? So you do that in your head, you go, okay, what's most important? I'll give that the weighting. And then I say, now I want you to give them another weighting. And that weighting is for the amount of focus and effort that thing gets. And there is always this disconnect between what people say is most important and the amount of focus and effort that that thing gets. And it usually goes, you know, I said work was 20% most important, but it gets 80% of my focus and effort, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the real answer to that question is that they should all actually be equally important. And mm -hmm. to your point, they will, they will vary in importance based on time of life and what's going on. But overall, they should actually be equally important, you know, because, you know, most people will say home relationships or self is the most important. But again, if you are really struggling at work and if you're not paying attention to the things that you need to at work and you're not getting any value from that or sense of achievement, then it affects the other areas just the same as the other way around. Yep. So if we can kind of think of them all as equally as it important then we can start to work out how do we allocate our effort and energy rather than time into mm. each one to make sure they all start to thrive yeah and i like i quite like your last point there actually like it's about looking how you allocate your effort and energy and not your time because you know realistically I'm a lawyer, my hours are nine to five, if not sometimes more. So I can say that I want to spend more time, whatever, do to my relationships throughout the week, but 80% of that already I'm in an office. So it's not yeah. always the most practical answer, but energy and effort is key because, you know, you have different bursts of energy levels at different times in the day. So if you know you're most productive in the morning, maybe that's when you can schedule in your coffee catch-ups because that's when you can be most attentive to those people. It may only be 15, 20 minutes, but it's quality, not quantity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest, it's one of our biggest um, uh, kind of misnomers about productivity our performance is not based on time anymore. In the 21st century, time, it, it doesn't matter how long you sit at your desk. It doesn't matter how much time you actually spend with your family and friends. What matters is our focus and effort during that time, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, our ability to pay attention to the things that really matter and shut out the distraction of the things that don't is probably our biggest indicator of how well we're going to perform. And, you know, I think we can spend, you could spend eight hours at work and you could get next to nothing done or you could mm -hmm. spend eight hours at work and be super productive, you know? And I think everyone knows this because everyone at some point has either gotten into the office early or stayed there late. And they realize that that two hours that I spend before anyone else gets in is actually more productive than probably the next seven hours I spend sitting, sitting at my yeah. desk, right? I'm sure lots of people so can that, to that. Yeah, yeah. And so that focus and effort is the thing that really matters. And probably, you know, conversely to work, if we think of the weekend, right? Because this always, this is one of my, this is one of my pet topics, right? If we look at the weekend, everyone has two days in the weekend, unless you're a shift worker or whatever. So you have these two days. And some days you, sometimes you finish those two days and you go, what did I even do with that weekend? Like, yeah. <laughs> where did it go? And other times you, you, Sunday night, you sit down and go, what an amazing weekend I just had. It's the same amount of time, but you've obviously approached those things very, very differently, you know? Mm. And so then you have our, the moment during the week where we actually can really connect with those other parts of our lives outside of work. 
sometimes we just kind of end up wasting that the same day, same way as we waste some time at work as well. Yeah. So would you have any, while we're on this topic, would you have any tips for like making the most of your weekend? Like, do you personally pre-plan your weekends or are you more sporadic and just sort of in the moment, more grateful and present? Like, do you have any tips to kind of embrace or make the most of those, that time off? Because I think that's the difference, right? Like most people and like, good luck to you if you don't, but most people have to work. And so, you know, it, the, the, I think the defining factor between people's lifestyles is what they choose to do in their spare time. Absolutely. And so, do you know, I think there's a couple of layers to this really. And if we look at work-life balance or work-life performance or whatever you want to call it, um, I love the introduction to your podcast because it says um, finding your own definition of work-life balance, right? And the reality is that most people don't have a definition. They, they don't actually know what it looks like. If you say to people, if people say, I want more work-life work balance, you say, what does that look like? They'll say something like, um, I'd like to get home a bit earlier, a couple of days a week, or not work so much on the weekends or whatever it is. And it's really, really vague. But one of the reasons that work gets our attention so much is that it has some things that really appeal to our hardwiring, right? It has clear goals for us to achieve it has you know short deadlines people holding us accountable it has all Purpose. of these things that yeah. yeah it has all of these things we can tick things off and feel good about it. it has all these things that really appeal to our hardwiring so it gets our attention whereas we look if we look at home and relationships and self you actually don't really take the time to stop and think about what those things look like so that definition piece is really important so almost from a macro level we have to go okay what is work-life balance to me? We almost have to have this mental model and whether it's balancing work, home, relationships and self, whether it's saying it's not about being mediocre in everything, it's about finding the things that are really important in each of those areas and being really relentless in executing on those things, just really honing in on those things and forgetting a lot of the other stuff. You know, so if, at a macro level, we kind of need that. At a sort of intermediate or meso level, if you like, we almost need to go, from a work point of view, who do I want to be? Like, let's actually think about this. From a work point of view, do I want to be a great leader or do I want to be a, um, you know, just someone who's really happy and productive at work? Or do I, is there a promotion that I want to get? And the same with home and relationships and self, right? From a home relationships point of view, who do I want to be and what's really important right now? And again, that'll change from time to time, but we need to be clear about what that is. And then we almost have this micro definition, right? Which is, what can I do today to get closer to that thing? But mm. without the other things, we can't actually have the micro. We can't have yeah. the, what do I do today? Yeah. So then identifying little things that I can do every day. Okay. And that might be if I'm a parent, maybe it's just having a great conversation with my kids at dinner, right? Instead of answering emails or whatever it is. Um, if it's a personal thing, maybe I need to manage stress and maybe it's just finding literally one minute to stop and breathe during the day or whatever it is, but having these little things that we can work on every day yeah. um, and being mindful of those things, I think is really important. And then when it comes to the weekend, we can reflect on those things and start saying, okay, if I was going to be a you know great parent or um, if I was going to really manage stress well or whatever that is, what would that look like for me on the weekend, right? Would mm. it be making sure we do one quality activity or do I go to yoga for half an hour or find, you know, get out in nature for a bit or whatever it is. So we have these things through our weekend. We need yeah. downtime at some stage too, right? So you can't be kind of operating oh, all, all the time. All the time. 
but making sure you have these moments where you go, okay, this is my definition of good. This is my mm-hmm. definition of balance. And therefore I can execute on that and feel like I have that balance. Yeah. Wow. There's so many takeaways from that. And I hope everyone's been writing down or mentally jotting down notes because that's actually quite a nice three tiered way to get clarity on what your balance is. And that is so important. And you're right. Like I think for many people listening, they'll resonate a lot when, when they say, well, what actually does balance look like to you? And I do think it's, it's a shifting concept, you know, like, and, and things get thrown your way and you, you might be very clear on your balance and, you know, you wake up with a total spanner in the works and that's, that's completely normal too. But I think if we're just looking at, you know, life, life in general, that is so important because then, you know, when things are outside of that definition, you know, yeah, and yeah. you know that that's, I guess what doesn't deserve your time and attention. Cause I think a lot of people may have, and I certainly do as well, struggle to say no to things. Sometimes you fall down a little bit of a people pleasing path or, you know, you just go to that thing cause you feel like you have to, and then you get home and you think, God, I really wish I didn't go to that. Or you're dreading it until it happens. All these things. I think if you get clear on your balance and I guess who you want to be in each of the areas of your life, it becomes a lot easier to unapologetically defend that. And I think that is so important. And I think all the layers you've gone through, even down to like, you know, once you get clear on a macro, meso, and then minor level, you can actually actionably do things day to day. And one thing I've actually said in passing before on the podcast is, you know, sometimes it's a little bit onerous or it seems so, um, what's the word? overwhelming to you know commit an hour to yourself every day or you know if you've got a massive day ahead of you to to say you're going to do all these things when you get home and then you know emails come through deadlines get pushed back and that that's kind of a way to the wayside so I think it's important to commit to a time every day and do not deviate from that if it's if 10 minutes is all you can do if five minutes is all you can do it's just time for yourself that you carve out you know, make it, make it something that works with your routine. If it's what, when you're on the train, you know, that, you know, you literally, you can't get off, you know, it's, you, you're going to have that time, whether it's, you know, you always go around the block at, at a lunch break, even if you can't take a full lunch break, whatever it is, you know, have something for yourself so that incrementally every day you can work towards that balance. It's not like at the end of every week, you have to just plan for the week ahead. It's like, we can do small things every day to get us closer to that goal. Absolutely. And the, the daily part is really important because that's what builds habits, right? Yes. If I do it once a week, then that's a, it's going to be, take a very long time to build that habit if it builds at all. Well, you can do what seven I will times. Say is, sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, well, you can do it seven times faster if it's daily. <laughs> Think about yeah, it that way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, the thing I would say is when you think of those things, make them super achievable, especially at the start, right? Rig Ooh, the game sense. in your favor. Make them so achievable it's ridiculous because what happens is when we start a new behavior or when we set a goal to start a new behavior and then, it, you know, I say, okay, I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes a day or whatever it is. And then I go a couple of days and I don't find that 20 minutes. I actually feel really bad about that. Do you know what I mean? Like I think, oh no, I'm oh, guilty. And so all of a sudden there's no chance of that behavior reinforcing. But yeah. if I say I'm just going to do a minute a day and I do a minute a day, I feel pretty good about that. And so mm. I'll continue to do it. And so I can build momentum there. And what we know is that if people can just get the minute, then all of a sudden they'll find five minutes. And then all of a sudden they'll find seven and then 10. And that becomes Between a lot 20 easier. 20 before they know it. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe they do 20 twice a week and every other day they do... But it's something then that stays front of mind. And I think that's one of the biggest ways that we kind of lose track of our work-life balance is because it just, there's so much coming at us. 
we just forget to do stuff. I might have every intention of, yeah. you know, getting home on time or whatever it is, but all of a sudden it's 6.30 at night and I'm still sitting in the office. I go, oh man, I just forgot. And so having those little rituals that help us to kind of build that behavior in every day, really, really valuable. I always say doing small things really regularly always trumps doing big things every now and then. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Love that point. Um, I just wanted to ask you now a little bit about people's environment. So I know you're big on like creating an environment that works to their advantage. Um, So can you talk to us a little bit about what actually is a good environment? Is that like individualized per person or is there like a general um, framework that people can go off and how can they actually achieve that? Yeah, I think environment is so important. If you think of performance in general, it kind of follows this equation, right? So performance is capability. So that might be my innate talent. That might be my innate talent plus some skills that I've built myself it's capability multiplied by behavior, right? The things that I do every day to capitalize on that talent or capability or whatever it is. And it's important to realize that that behavior bit is a multiplier. So regardless of my talent and capability, if I execute the right behaviors regularly, I'll probably still have you know, a really good performance. Um, now, those behaviors are really hard to execute on our own all the time right? And so having a great environment that allows us and even encourages us to keep executing on those behaviors is really important. One of the, one of the greatest pieces of research ever was um, on potential um, was by a professor named Lewis Terman. And Lewis Terman uh, went around America back in the 60s, I'm going to say, and he um, ran intelligence tests on about 300,000 kids. And he took the smartest thousand kids that he could find out of that 300,000. And he tracked them into their adult life, thinking that he was going to find the next leaders of the free world, right? The next presidents and high court judges and groundbreaking surgeons. Followed them for 30 years. Turns out at the end of it, he wrote this paper and the paper was called The Genetic Studies of Genius. And turns out he found a completely normal spread of the population, right? Some overachievers, a whole bunch of just average people and some underachievers, right? And so he then got really interested in understanding if I've got a thousand kids predisposed to being really successful, what's the difference? And he goes back and he spends five years doing all this qualitative analysis of the people they interacted with and the environments they grew up in. And he found unequivocally that every kid that really succeeded just always had this environment where people would challenge their strengths, would work, make them work on their weaknesses, would hold them accountable, keep them motivated, do all those things that keep us on track because it's really hard to do by ourselves. Mm. And the behaviors that we need to engage in to kind of fulfill our potential in, in whatever environment it is, whether it's work, home relationships or self, um, they usually require some sort of self-discipline. And when we have people around us that encourage us or even better people around us who exhibit those behaviors anyway, then they start to normalize those behaviors for us, right? Yeah. So I always say, my, my kids are swimmers. They get the teenage boys, they get up at 4.30 in the morning, we drop them at the pool at 10 to five and they're in the pool swimming at five. And if I talk to non-swimming parents, they go, what? That is great. <laughs> like, how can you get your kids to get up at 4.30? But when I drop those kids at swim practice, there's like 40 other kids that got up at 4.30. It's completely normal. No one talks about it as if it's a crazy thing that everyone does. Do you know what I mean? So having the environment where people are 
really doing similar things to you, operating at a similar standard and kind of and matching what that, that kind of um, macro level is for you, right? The things that yep. you want to get out of work or home relationships or whatever it is, is really important to be able to keep executing those behaviours really consistently. For sure. And so that's, I guess, a big part of the environment then is your people. What about your physical space? Do you think that that has a role to play in multiplying your, your capabilities? Yeah, so that one's different for different people, right? So one of the, especially when we're looking at changing behaviours, right? One of, the, one of the most basic tenets of changing behaviour is just that we increase friction for the behavior we're trying to get rid of and we decrease friction for the behavior we're trying to start right so all that means is we make the undesirable behavior harder to execute and we make the desirable behavior easier to execute you know perfect example is i say that i'm going to get home i'm going to engage with my partner instead of checking my phone well i can use self-discipline for that or i can leave my phone in the car now, all of a sudden, it's really hard to look at my phone and easy to engage with my partner as yeah. opposed to, you know, the other way around. So I think our physical environment does play a big part, but really in how we structure it so that we have a better chance at executing those behaviours that we want to be uh, executing. Yeah, right. So it's just like making, if you're going to look at your physical space, how can you make it conducive to whatever behavior you want? You know, I've heard a lot of people talk yeah. about making like spaces in their house for certain things. So when after yeah. a certain period of time, by the time they go to that spot, you know, they're already predisposed to meditate, to study, to listen yes. to a podcast, whatever it is. So um, back to the the people thing, because I think this is such a massive part of, of who you are. And I can see in my, I guess, you know, I'm at, I'm at a very early part of my life still, but I think in my last few years of journey, I have gone through a bit of a phase where friendship circles have changed. You know, I, I find myself even just through the podcast interacting and, and clicking with different people as well, but the energy and the support from the people I have around me today versus five years ago is an absolute testament to the things I'm doing now. And, and the reason I can do all the things I'm doing now so I guess my question is, if, if people feel like right now, you know, you know, when you get that feeling that you just feel like a relationship or a dynamic with somebody has changed, you know, and then it's not that they're no longer serving you. It's just that your paths have split in two different ways. Have you personally had the experience or professionally had to coach anyone through, I guess, how to navigate exiting that situation or, or delicately, I guess, you know, just protecting yourself. I think that's what it comes down to, really just honouring and protecting your energy and knowing, I guess, your path and respecting people who are going to do that for you. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's real, it is really dependent on the situation, right? So there's some situations for which you just have to kind of make the change. Do you know what I mean? You literally have to just go, no this is enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Um, to do that, we kind of almost need to go back to that meso level of who do I want to be right what am I actually trying to get out of this situation again whether it's work or relationship or whatever and am I actually getting that is there a way I can get that or do I not see that as something that's possible within this situation always good to bounce that off other people that you really trust as well because they'll give you the honest answer it's hard for us to make decisions um, when we have those emotions running around yeah we so I think that's you know yeah absolutely so there's um you know, there's some situations that we literally just need to cut off and go, that's enough. 
The majority of situations aren't like that though. The majority of situations we will not get out of until we truly believe that we can get out of them and we'll be okay when we get out of them. So for those ones, it's a really slow process of changing your own mindset. And sometimes changing your mindset is more about the little things that you start doing. And maybe the little, one of those little things you start doing is you start hanging out with a different group of people every now and then. Or maybe if you're in a job that you don't like, one of the little things you start doing is just starting to look at what other jobs might be out there. Yeah, chatting and being to recruiters to, or... Yeah, yeah. And, and again, just do little things, just small things that you can do every day. There's no point in spending a whole day like finding recruiters and looking at jobs and then doing nothing else for the next three months. Because often it's those little things that we do every day that start to change our perception of the situation and mm. change our perception of what's possible outside of that situation. So, you know, much like we talked about with those habits before, just start to find little things that you can do every day. And it's interesting that after a couple of weeks of doing those little things every day, leaving that situation will feel so much more achievable and so much more realistic than if, I just keep wallowing where I am or if I do one big thing and then don't think about it for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I guess you'll feel a lot more grounded with your decision when you, when you do make it rather than think, Oh, but if I had done this or that, you know, cause you, you've done the groundwork, the incremental work to, I guess, build the foundation. So love that advice. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, now I want to ask you, and I know you speak a lot about this um, in your work as well. What is a winning mindset? What does that mean? All right. So you got a massive you know, smile on your face. I can tell this is something you absolutely love. So this and motivation are two of my favorite topics, right? We'll do motivation. So, um, we'll do the motivation piece next. So, <laughs> so do you know the most the most the closest approximation of winning mindset is really growth mindset, right? That same thing. The, the the foundation of winning mindset is really saying, do you know what? I can be really good at pretty much anything if I put in the work, right? Take out things that may you may need to have a physical predisposition for, right? So if you're not seven foot and you want to play in the NBA, you're probably going to struggle, right? But for pretty much anything else we want to do, it's again, that performance equals capability times behaviors. If I can find the right things to do and I can be relentless in executing those things really consistently, then I will get better at stuff. Will I be the best in the world? Maybe, maybe not, but I definitely will get better. So that's the, that, that's the kind of foundation um, of winning mindset. If we break it down into kind of the other elements, it sort of looks like this. Number one, again, we come back to kind of a sense of clarity, right? What is it that I want to get out of this situation or what is it that I want to achieve? Being really clear on those things, right? That would be number one. The second thing would be the one thing that is almost like the gateway that stops everyone from the next bit. And that is just being intentional about what we do every day, right? Mm. The vast majority of people are super reactive all day. I sit at my computer, I open my email, I start answering those. I react to everything that's around me. So the technical name for this is bottom-up processing. We just see stuff in front of us and we react to it. We do that stuff, right? Whereas Winning mindset is more about being intentional or what we call top-down processing, which is say, okay, here's what I want to get out of this. And therefore I will choose the behaviors that get me there rather than just reacting to what's around me. Mm. So, you know, again, just being, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about this performance curve that has these, these three zones of 
Um, we call the chill zone, which is where we're kind of really relaxed and we just go through the motions. Um, there's the choking zone where we uh, have too much pressure and we can't think straight and we become reactive again. And in the middle sits this performance zone where we're kind of really deliberate about what we're doing and we're choosing our behaviors based on where we want to go and we're controlling our emotions where we need to and that sort of thing. And the vast majority of people just let external forces control where they sit in that, right? Mm. If you're my manager and you give me a really boring assignment that's due in four weeks' time, I'll probably sit in that chill zone, right? If you drop something on my desk and say, this is due in an hour and it usually takes me two hours to do it, I probably go in the choking zone. And I need to wait for the time that you give me something with a perfect timeline that I enjoy, that I find challenging, but not overwhelming. And then I'll probably go into that performance zone. Whereas really high performers take more control of that. They get in the performance zone when they feel like being in the chill zone. They'll tactically pull back into the chill zone when they've been in that performance zone too long or where they feel like they're spilling over into the choking zone. So being really intentional about what we choose to do almost every hour of every day is, you know, a part of that. Um, and then the final two things really are understanding that process trumps outcome. So again, it goes back to behavior. Doing the things that get me to the end point is actually more important than the end point itself, right? Mm. And if I understand that, if I understand what those things are, and if I understand, if, if I start to get some inspiration out of just doing those things as opposed to the end result, that is what makes my performance really sustainable. Yeah. With, um, with high performers, we have this saying, right? And it just says, winners behave like winners. And as remedial as that sounds, it is so true, right? Winners just do the things that winners do. And you can substitute anything in for winners, right? You can say, great leaders behave like great leaders, great parents behave like great parents, um, great spouses Probably the converse. Like great you could probably What's say that? the converse as well, like... You know, something <laughs> negative, it probably runs yeah. true as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so really performing at our best is about finding those things that people who are really good at what we want to do do and just doing them over and over and being really good at them. And then the people have really sustainable um, performance. They get really excited about executing those things as opposed to just the outcome. And sometimes the outcome is underwhelming for them because mm. they love the process so much. Yeah. And then the final thing in all of that is just accountability too, is just taking responsibility for my successes, my failures, my attitude, all of those things, being responsible for those and not giving that responsibility or that control to other things and other people. Beautiful. So like that was very dense. I love that. But if anyone's <laughs> listening right now, because I'm sure we've got a lot of um, winning mindsets listening, but we may also have some people who feel like they do I guess, bounce between the three zones, depending on yeah. the environment around them. You know, for, yep. for anyone kind of feel, feeling like they're ping-ponging but, but across all of those, what would be your, I know, I know you've kind of just given the framework, but what would be like the starting point to, to really just get started on how to tap into a winning mindset or how to have more like sustained performance level rather than a yo-yo kind of reactive performance level? What would be the yeah, starting yeah. point? I think the simplest answer to that and what I think is the greatest three to five minute investment that you can make every single day is right. at the start of the day, just plan your day, right? Yeah. That's it. At the start of the day, go, okay. And I like to go, okay, in, in work, for instance, what are the most important things for me to do at work? 
right? What are, the mo what are the things that really make a difference versus the things that I sometimes get dragged into that make no difference at all, right? And waste like three hours of my day. Um, what are the most important things to do at work? Um, and then I look at the home relationships and self parts. What can I do to positively impact those things as well today? And then put your meetings into your day, you know, whatever things are um, unavoidable, put them in there and then just work out when you are going to do those things that you said are really important. Just put mm. them into your day, just schedule them in. And this helps us do a couple of really important things. So number one, makes our day realistic, right? It says, okay, if I said that I was going to do all these things, but I got six meetings, like I actually can't do those things. So what am I going to do about it? Um, the second thing it does that is that it starts to give some deadlines to each of those things. I, I said that I was going to do these things between 11 and one today. Now, all of a sudden, I have this kind of false deadline that I've imposed on myself and I will work to get those things done in that two hours. So there's a really, um, there's a fascinating concept called Parkinson's law. Have you heard of Parkinson's law? No. So Parkinson's law states that a task will expand to fill the amount of time that you allocate to it, right? So a great example of this is you say at one o'clock in the afternoon, you say, I've got this stuff to do and I want to leave here at five. So I've got till five o'clock to do it. It will take you until five o'clock to do that, right? And but if you actually said, do you know what? I'm going to get this done by four. And then from four till five, I'm going to work on this project that I'm really interested in or whatever. Then you'll probably get that same amount of stuff done by four. You just yeah. won't procrastinate as much. You'll probably yeah. work with a slightly higher intensity. And so once we allocate time to everything during the day, it's almost like we get these moments where we go, all right, I said I'd do that between 11 and 12. And I get to ramp my performance up into that performance zone a little more. Mm. And the beautiful thing about this is that it frees up more time for me later in the day as well. One of the things I find really funny is we've all got stuff that we don't like doing at work, right? There's like admin stuff or yeah. whatever it is that you dislike doing. Do you know the vast majority of people, they'll start to work on that stuff and they will procrastinate and get distracted and they'll actually make it take longer than it should have. Like, why would we do that? Why wouldn't we just say, right, I'm going to knock this stuff over in an hour and then I'm going to do something else. But instead, we kind of just, you know, we kind of spread it out so it occupies more of our day than it actually should. And it's a great example of, you know, the, the external environment dragging us out of that performance zone. So mm -hmm. that would be it. It's plan your day, but really plan your day. Don't just write yeah. in meetings. Everyone does that. Really decide what's most important and decide when you are going to do those things. Yeah. And there's this great quote, I think it's by Jim Quick and it's make the most important thing, the most important thing. So if you have clarity on, you know, who you want to be in your areas of life and you, you yeah. make that clear to yourself daily in an intentional, like you said, like when planning out your day, then you will make time for it. And that's a really good tip about, you know, like actually giving yourself little time, time blocks for certain yeah. tasks so that you're not expanding in because I, I mean whilst I hadn't heard of Parkinson's law it's something I've felt you know that that task and I'm just like wow this has been a while now that I've been here but no 100% that's a that's a really great tip um yeah, yeah. before I let you go I do want to drill your your mind about motivation and I know it's something you're also very passionate about and I am just going to come out with a straight up question is motivation a load of bs <laughs> there's kind of two answers to that right there's like the elite Zen answer and then there's the answer for most of us, right? So the elite answer is yes. Motivation is BS. Like motivation 
doesn't matter because motivation is an emotion, right? And emotions don't drive outcomes. Mm. Actions drive outcomes. And when we start saying, um, I wasn't motivated this morning, so I couldn't get up and go to the gym, for instance, right? When we start saying that I couldn't do this thing, I couldn't take this action because of this emotion, when we buy into that, it becomes a really slippery slope for us, right? So I can't go to the gym because I didn't feel great about going to the gym, right? So where does that stop? Where do we end up going, do you know what? I came home from work and I was really frustrated and stressed from work. So I actually couldn't be nice to you tonight. <laughs> do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. Like when, you, when you compartmentalize <clears throat> and use like a different emotion, it sounds a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. Not, Whereas the reality is... Yeah, it's not like it, an asset just sitting there that we can just turn to when you know when you feel like it. It's it's not always going to show up for you. It's an emotion. It's going to rock up and it feels like it. Absolutely, and we're we're not in great control of our emotions, but we are in control of the things that we do. Right. So saying that I'm not motivated, so I couldn't get up, put my shoes on, and go to the gym is exactly the same as I couldn't get up and put my shoes on and go to the gym because um, I was a little sad or I was anxious about something, or I was happy. Like the emotion doesn't actually drive the action unless we let it. Yes. Does that make sense? Like we yes, could, you totally. can, it doesn't matter if you're sad, mad, frustrated, angry, still treat people nicely. You can still yeah. get up and put your shoes on. We can actually do it. So that's kind of the, the high level Zen answer is that it actually doesn't matter, right? The second answer to that is for most people, you want to feel some sort of motivation in order to execute behaviors, right? And whether that behavior is going to the gym or um, getting started on a project or writing a book or whatever it is, or just getting home early and spending focused time with your family and friends. Um, and this is where our most basic driver of human behavior is simply that we seek pleasure and avoid pain, right? That is it at its most basic, highest level, first instance of kind of information filtering, that's what we do. We seek pleasure and avoid pain. The problem with motivation is that, or the problem with doing anything worthwhile is that it's hard, right? It is hard to get up early and go to the gym. It's hard to focus on long-term projects when there's other things screaming at you for your, you know, for your attention right now. And I always say, you know, we, we need motivation to do those hard things, but there's other things we don't need motivation for. Like who needs motivation to go get coffee? No one, right? We just do it. <laughs> and why is that? It's because it feels good. We like doing it. And the three, re the four, sorry, reasons that we will engage in a behavior is simply that we like doing it. It feels good. It might avoid a, an immediate consequence. We'll do things because of that or because it reinforces my self-concept, right? Mm -hmm. I might not like doing my admin, but I've decided I'm a person that does admin and gets it in on time, and therefore I will do it, right? So it reinforces my self-concept. Now, if we think about that, motivation then becomes a reward problem. I wake up early and it feels terrible to wake up early, so I don't wanna do it. So I'm not motivated to do it, right? And as long as it keeps feeling bad, it probably negatively reinforces, it stops me from wanting to do it. So if we could think of motivation with this really, really simple lens, right? Simple concept, hard to execute. Um, if we can take the things that feel bad and make them feel good, we'll be motivated to do those things, right? So take getting up early as an example. Unless you are one of those lucky people that love getting up early, you wake up and you go, 
this kind of feels horrible. How can I actually make this feel good? And there's a whole bunch of research on if I just say, hey, I know getting up's hard, but if I do that, that's actually a good achievement for me. And I give myself like this little virtual high five that actually helps, right? To go, you know what, good on you. You actually did that and you got up and you were able to overcome that. Other people might wanna get up and drive to the gym in the dark at five o'clock in the morning and post something on their social media. Maybe that makes them feel good, right? Mm. But anything that we can do to make us feel good, all of a sudden increases our chances exponentially of doing that thing. Um, I go to the gym and when I go to the gym, I listen to the Balance Theory podcast, right? I love listening to that podcast. So now I associate the gym with that and that's when I do it. I listen to an audio book or I make it sort of more enjoyable for myself. Yeah. Does that make sense? But as, yeah. as, as long as we keep sort of just trying to exert that self-discipline and we don't master this idea of taking bad things and making them feel better, then we'll constantly, you'll go up and down in motivation a lot. And until you can master that, you'll just sort of hit this wall of sometimes having the discipline to do it and sometimes not. Yeah, no, I love that because especially when you think of all the things you quote need motivation for, there always is things that are not that enjoyable to do. Go to the gym, go for a run, get up early, uh, meal prep, uh, start a business. All these things are actually complicated and they're not easy flowing. And so that's a great point. Like I try and I guess it's reframing, right? It's thinking what actually is the good the good about this or how can I make this, you know, almost like a, a reward piece, um, I guess, Absolutely. what I'm doing. But but on that point, obviously the reward, the reward needs to be proportionate to whatever you're doing. So if you're, you know, if you're going to the gym and then you reward yourself with some ice cream, it's not quite logical. So <laughs> just bear that in mind, you know, the reward, make it proportionate to what you're doing. But I do love yeah. that and- I actually am a firm believer that motivation is uh, a little bit of a cop out in the sense that I think I think people can easily just not do the thing because they don't have motivation. But I can guarantee you now I go to the gym every morning and probably 50% of the time I'm not motivated to go. You know, and so I don't think it's this thing that exists that's ever present. I think sometimes yep. you have you absolutely sometimes you've got this you're on a roll, you're kind of just in the zone, you're, you know, you're, you're extra focused. And that, that for me comes in ways. I definitely have days where I feel that, but the days yeah. where it's not, I'm still doing the same things, yeah. you know? And, and this what's is- interesting, right? And I think this is probably the biggest thing around that first part that I talked about of motivation being BS is that once on the days that you don't feel like it, once you get up and you go to the gym, you feel pretty good, right? Yeah, the, so it's the same the- result. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, and this is when I talk about loving that process and executing on those behaviors, despite how we feel, the biggest difference between sustainable high performance or high performers and those that don't sustain it is that people that don't sustain it go, um, I need to feel good to take this positive action. I need Mm. to feel good to go to the gym. Whereas high performers understand that it actually works the other way around. I go to the gym and I actually feel good. It's my actions that drive my feelings and not the other way around. And if I let it be the other way around, then I never take the action. That's beautiful. That's, that's put so perfectly. And I think that's a great point. Uh, a great place, sorry, to to wrap this combo up. Before I let you right. go, and thank you for your time, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your planners, how they came about and, and what they're about, because we are going to be doing a giveaway on social media. You've generously donated 
five planners to give away. So yep. thank you so much for that. I would love to know a little bit about them and just let the audience hear a bit about, I guess, what they are. Yeah, so um, I run courses for companies around um, kind of optimal performance. And uh, a few years ago now, someone said to me, look, what? Do, how do I how do I operationalize this every day? Like, how do I keep it front of mind and keep doing it? And at that point, I just kind of had a blank journal and I was doing it myself every day. And so I decided to create this planner that takes kind of a lot of things that we just talked about and gives you this reminder every day about them, right? So um, every day you open it up and there are literally, there's the first question is, the most important things for me to do at work are these things. And it only gives you space for three things, right? That is it. They have to be the most important things. And then there's questions every day that say, um, to positively impact home relationships, I will do this. And you fill it out. To positive, positively impact self, I'll do this. Um, there's a recharge piece. To recharge, I will do this. And that's just a moment Beautiful. to disconnect or breathe or whatever it is. Um, and then there's a final question there for reflection at the end of the day, um, just for gratitude and reflections, right? And so, you know, once again, it's about waking up and going through this and being really intentional about, okay, what are the things that really matter today? Like if I could have a really great day, what would that look like? Because it kind of occurred to me that everyone wants to have a great day, right? No one wants to say, no one says I want to have a crappy day. Everyone yeah. goes, I'd love to have a really great day, but no one ever stops and thinks what does a great day actually look like like is that achievable for me and if I write it down then it becomes achievable for me mm. right so um it just it literally walks you through that so there's a monthly plan where you sit down at the start of the month and you go are there, what are the big things that are important this month there's a weekly plan that I generally do on a Sunday night that says mm -hmm. coming up this week what are the most important things for me to be aware of and then there's that daily plan and it sounds really onerous but literally it takes three minutes when you get good at it, it takes three minutes and it's like a little bit of therapy every morning too right? well you yeah of, you're really just bringing yeah. that and, um, intention front of mind and once you do yep. that it's it's that's it your day basically kind of just evolves from that it's for people who haven't journaled and, and i'll be honest it's not something i avidly do but i do from time to time but the days yeah. i do it's it just brings forth that intention all those emotions the things i want to feel the things i want to be you know, it just brings it to light somehow on the paper. So I'm really excited to check out the planner. I'm definitely going to be grabbing one for myself. And Great. yeah, I'm really excited for anyone who's going to win it. But if they, um, you know, if they want to in interact with you or I guess purchase a planner a little bit further down, what's the best way to go about reaching out? Yeah, so website is performancelab.com.au. Uh, Instagram is focusplannerAUS. That's probably mm -hmm. the best way to uh, find us on there perfect i'll pop links to that below and awesome. i just want to thank you so much for your time honestly i had to remind myself to sort of be tuning in as the host at points because i was just like absorbing everything and i'm gonna to have to go back through with my my pen and paper and write down heaps but i've learned a lot today i really want to thank you for your time i know the listeners awesome. will have taken a lot from today as well so thank you so much great thank you erica really appreciate being on you're welcome and that's a wrap for this week, Balancers. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found this episode useful to some degree in either steering or determining your definition of balance today. As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it. Or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. 
If you have any suggestions for up and coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the balance theory and our email is the balance theory podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop so you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam, we promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced. Stop, stop, stop.